there is a special place in hell for people who adopt policies that are intended to increase the cost of housing, energy, and food. The administration is actually an enemy of the people, and that's what we have right now. Anybody who is suffering this this winter, we need to make sure that they understand it's the Democrats that are doing this. An exclusive pre-swearing-in interview with Wyoming Representative-elect Harriet Hageman. Here we go. Good morning, my friends, and welcome to this very special Christmas Eve, Eve, Eve installment of the program. From high above all other puerile and pedantic forms of Wyoming mainstream media, this is Cowboy State Politics. I, of course, am your illustrious host, David Iverson, firmly ensconced behind the very shiny silver cowboy state politics microphone and broadcasting to you from the base of the Bighorns in beautiful, snowy Buffalo, Wyoming. Ah, my friends, I can almost smell Christmas. And nothing spells Christmas here at Cowboy State Politics quite like an interview with Wyoming Representative-elect Harriet Hageman. It's a great discussion. And she has a few things to tell you that I'm absolutely positive that you haven't heard before. When we were talking about Medicaid expansion, she mentioned something that I hadn't heard before. I'm telling you, it's a pretty good conversation, and we'll get to it here in a little bit. But before we do any of that, a little egregious self-aggrandizement. You can listen to the podcast on any of your favorite podcasting apps. iHeartRadio, iTunes, TuneIn... Really, any of them will work, but the easiest way is just to go to the website, cowboystatepolitics.com. There you can find all of the shows, as well as any of the articles that I might bring up during the course of a program. If you happen to be the president of the University of Wyoming, and you do not have any idea what free speech actually means, well... You can go to CowboyStatePolitics.com, pull up an article, and find out where you've been going wrong all along. New episodes of the program are published every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday morning. And don't forget about the Thursday live program, which begins every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. You can find the link at CowboyStatePolitics.com or on the Cowboy State Politics Facebook page. This segment is brought to you by New Trend Hats. If you're new to Wyoming, let me just let you in on a little secret. Here, it can snow nine months out of the year. Yeah, that white stuff that you're seeing flying around right now. And if you're like me, one of the worst parts of winter is your ears getting cold. A way to prevent that is to go to NewTrendHats.com. They have a wide selection of hats for both men and women. And they're a Wyoming company based out of Kemmerer. So go check them out. NewTrendHats.com. Keep your ears warm and have a Merry Christmas. Speaking of Christmas, this is the special Christmas Eve, Eve, Eve special of the program. Here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus Lane. Blixin' and blixin' and all his reindeers pullin' on the reins. 
Bells are ringing, children singing, all is merry and bright. So hang your stockings and say your prayers, cause Santa Claus comes tonight. Here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus Lane. Coming on Saturday, the traditional Cowboy State Politics Christmas Special. You're going to love it. I've got a number of guests on the program that are going to share some of their favorite Christmas memories, some of whom you've heard before, and at least one you haven't. And that guy has an incredible voice. And maybe, just maybe, we'll get him to play some of his music right here on the program. I promise you, you've never heard of him, and once you do, you'll be on your way to Buffalo, Wyoming, just to try to convince him to sing one more song. All of that is coming up Saturday, Christmas Eve, right here on Cowboy State Politics. We begin this morning, however, with Wyoming's lone land-grant university, which is tasked with educating young minds, and yet doesn't know the first thing about free speech. When you boil it all down, the only right that you do have is to be offended. We don't have a right not to be offended. In fact, we should embrace the speech the very type of speech that we abhor. It is only through that that we actually have the freedom to say whatever it is that we want to say. Because if we start limiting what a person can say in public, or in private for that matter, then you don't have any freedom at all. One of the fundamental principles that our republic was founded on, though it wasn't articulated until after the Constitution was written, is called the Harms Principle. That comes from John Stuart Mill's book, On Liberty, in which he said that the only acceptable use of government force is to prevent harm to another person. Now, the harm that he was referring to is actual harm, actual damage. I will be the first to admit, in fact, I actually trumpet it on this program, is that words do have power, but they do not cause harm. Oh, we might claim that they do, but it's not true. It is actions that cause harm, not words. People can say and write some pretty vile stuff, but that doesn't mean that you are harmed. In fact, let's get a definition real quick so everyone understands what it is that we're talking about. To the 1828. Now, there's a whole bunch of different definitions here, but the one that applies is to hurt, injure, to damage, to impair the soundness of body, either animal or vegetable, I'm not exactly sure where, how vegetables work into this, but it is clear from the definition that we are talking about physical injury. Now, we might broaden that definition a little bit to include financial harm. A lot of our laws are based on that. If you are harmed financially, then you're entitled to recompense for that harm. But words do not do that either. Your feelings don't count. Now, we should try really hard not to hurt each other's feelings, but that doesn't mean that you are physically harmed. It is not a crime to disagree with somebody or even to despise them. That is an opinion. And while your delicate little feelers might be hurt, it is not a crime. Nor should we restrict any speech that does so. The University of Wyoming is a public university. It is a land-grant university, which means that your tax dollars pay for it. It is not a private school. They don't get to set their own policy. Now, we do allow them a significant amount of latitude, and we do that to foster the free marketplace of ideas. That's the only way that that can really happen. 
But ultimately, it is the legislature that writes the policy for the university, not the school itself. The University of Wyoming is not a country all on its own. But they act like they are. From the front page of the Pravda on the Plat this morning. And I quote, The University of Wyoming's suspension of tabling privileges for a Laramie Church elder could run afoul of the First Amendment if challenged in court. But the university has a case that it was within its rights, freedom of speech and legal experts say. Keep in mind, this is the Pravda on the Plat. It continues. The outcome of any legal recourse for the church elder, who was enveloped in controversy after he posted a sign directed at a transgender student, remains unclear and would depend on how the courts view the school's authority to regulate tabling and the interpretation of harassment. Skip a couple paragraphs. Quote, UW suspended Laramie Faith Community Church elder Todd Schmidt from tabling in the Wyoming Union for a year after a December 2nd incident in which he hung a sign directed at a student that read, God created male and female, and the student's name is a male. In a letter to Schmidt notifying him of UW's decision, Dean of Students Ryan O'Neill justified the decision by citing the Wyoming Union's reservation policies and the conclusion by the university's Equal Opportunity Report and Response Unit, which reviews and investigates allegations of discrimination, harassment, sexual misconduct, and workplace violence that Schmidt violated UW's policies for discriminatory harassment of a current student, end quote. Question, was anything on that sign incorrect? Negative, my friends. He was stating a fact. Was it an uncomfortable fact for some people? Yep, sure was, but a fact nonetheless. And one that is confirmed by every biology textbook on the planet including the ones at the University of Wyoming. For a moment, let's take a look at that word harassment. Interesting that the 1828 does not have a definition that even remotely applies in this context. We'll have to go with the 1972 version. To harass, to trouble, worry, or torment, as with cares, debts, repeated questions. In a military usage, to trouble the enemy by constant raids or attacks. Continual fire. So, repeated questions and continual fire. Well, Mr. Schmidt only had one sign. And from all reports, he only displayed it one time. So clearly, that does not fit the definition of harassment. And what about the word violence? Well, violence obviously relates to physical harm, physical damage. So what part of Mr. Schmidt's sign was physically damaging to that student? It wasn't. Now, add to this whole mess that the student in question had been very active in the media, had given interviews, and even proclaimed himself a trailblazer. When you inject yourself into the media, you open yourself up for a whole host of different kinds of criticism that you wouldn't otherwise normally have been subjected to. And that is precisely what happened here. But it wasn't harassment, and it certainly wasn't violence. The University of Wyoming is claiming that they're trying to foster a diversity of opinion. But they don't really want diversity. They want diversity of their thought, not your thought. Your thoughts are harassment, and they create violence. They claim that we all have to be tolerant. 
but it is not tolerance that they seek. They want you to be tolerant of their thought, but they don't have to tolerate your opinion in the slightest. One last thought on this, and I want you to listen closely to what I'm about to read to you. From the article, quote, If someone wants to argue they have freedom of faith on a college campus, they do. They can say a prayer silently or otherwise on their own time and their own space. That doesn't mean the university has an obligation to give them a pulpit. End quote. That is not speech. And it is not the First Amendment, and it certainly is not the goal of Wyoming's lone land-grant university. We have a major problem on our hands, my friends, and it seems to emanate from Laramie, Wyoming. When our university does not understand free speech, it is necessary for us to reevaluate how we, taxpayers, are funding our university. Coming up the pre-swearing-in interview with Representative-elect Harriet Hageman. But first, a completely obscene profit timeout. We'll get to our interview in just a second. But first... Let's pay some bills. Cowboy State Politics is brought to you by Morton Buildings. If you're in the market for an outbuilding or a garage or a barn or a giant warehouse or a roping arena or any type of metal structure, then you need to call my friends Nick and Jesse at Morton Buildings. 307-674-2532. These two guys are the experts in metal building construction. They've been doing it longer than anybody else around, and they definitely do it better than anybody else around. So it doesn't matter what type of building you've been thinking about, give Nick and Jesse a call, and they'll handle all the details. Again, their phone number is 307-674-2532, or you can check them out on their website at mortonbuildings.com. My friends, it is cold outside. At Cowboy State Politics Central Command, it is 12 degrees below zero. Nobody wants to go out and shovel the walk in this stuff. But sometimes, you've got to do what you got to do, my friends. You shouldn't go outside without a pair of socks from the Buffalo Wool Company. At 15 below zero, with a 15-mile-an-hour wind, you can have frostbite in five minutes. But if you have a pair of the warmest socks that I've ever put on my little tootsies, you can help prevent that and still get your walk shoveled. Go to their website, thebuffalowoolco.com. Get the walk shoveled and keep the missus happy. You know what they say, my friends. Happy wife, happy life. <laughs> That's the Buffalo Wool Company. It's Wednesday, and you know what that means. Gun of the Week time from Gunrunner Auctions. And this week is one of my favorites. It's lot number 218. It's a 1960 Winchester Model 94 3030. I have one of these, my friends. It's the straightest shooting gun I own. The old reliable. And this one has a 90% original finish. It's got a little bit of hunting wear on it, but it's still a beautiful weapon. Honestly, my friends, these are pretty neat rifles. They eject the casing right out of the top of the receiver. 
They're super cool. I'm telling you, when I bought mine, I kind of did it on a whim. Uh, I mean, it was just a gun that was for sale, and I had the cash, and so I bought it. I'm so glad that I did. It's one of my favorites in my entire collection. So that's lot number 218 at thegunrunner.com. And now, back to the program. Yesterday, I finally caught up with Representative-elect Harriet Hageman. It had been a couple weeks since I spoke with Harriet, and you know how it is when two friends get on the phone and you just kind of jump right into things. So where the interview starts, I had just asked her what she thinks about Carrie Lake in Arizona. I'm so glad that I hit the record button when I did, because as always, Harriet makes some great points about that whole situation that's going on in Arizona. So... Here's her answer and the rest of the discussion. You know, uh, I'm, I'm terribly worried, David, that our courts are afraid to get involved other than like they did in North Carolina and do things like block voter ID that was approved constitutionally by the citizens of North Carolina, by the way. Did you know that? I didn't know that it was approved by the state or by it the was citizens. Approved, it was approved by the people. It, and that's what's so frustrating about it is, how do you declare something to be unconstitutional that is constitutional? I have no idea. And that's, and that's what the court did in that circumstance, what the Supreme Court did. And they said, even though the law itself does not appear to be unlawful, we believe that it was adopted with, with racial animus. Well, what did you did you go and interview everybody? It isn't about racial animus. It is about the fact that we want to make sure that the right, that people who are allowed to vote are the only ones that are voting. I mean, we, judges are not kings or czars. I mean, they can't just we, say we we don't we don't agree with you, so we're going to do it this way. I mean, they're... we're going to do it this way. The, it, in in fact, in interpreting laws, the intent behind it is largely irrelevant. It's the words that control. You only interpret something. If it is so ambiguous, you can't figure out what it means. But a law that says you shall sh you shall show an ID uh, to be allowed to vote isn't ambiguous. There's no interpretation to be done. No, no. And I, I mean, I am so sick of activist judges because that's really what too. we're talking about. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So, well, we'll get started. We'll do whatever you want to do. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I guess let's just get some of the big points out of the way first. I'm sure that you know what your committee assignments are going to be. So what are those? No. Oh, you don't yet? The way that this is done, and I'm learning all of this, just as so many freshmen are, is there's a steering committee, and it's made up of quite a few members of Congress. We have various representatives, like the freshman class has a representative on the steering committee, and I went and sat down with our representative. His name is Max Miller. I really like him. I spent a lot of time explaining to him which committees I wanted and why, and then he advocates for us, as do others that I have met with as well. So the two committees that I'm going for are obviously natural resources, because Wyoming's obviously. representative has historically been on natural resources. Liz Cheney, I think, maybe one of the, if not the only representative not there, uh, not on that committee, uh, if if not the only one. I, I think she is the only one who didn't who isn't serving on there as Wyoming's representative. The second one is judiciary. 
Okay. And judiciary is where we will be doing a lot of the investigations. Jim Jordan will be the chairman of the Judiciary Committee. I have talked to him about being on the committee. I know that he wants me on there, but there are quite a few people who want to be on judiciary just because we are going to be doing some important investigations through that body. Um, I think that they're interested in my skills as a trial attorney and my ability to cross-examine people is part of why they're interested in me, they being the leadership and, and Jim Jordan. So hopefully those will be the committees I will be on. I would love to see you and Jim Jordan together investigating something. I think that would be a, a fascinating cross-examination to watch. Yes, thank you. So one of the big questions I have for you, and this might be a little obtuse, but again, that's what I do. <laughs> so you're you're an attorney, and courtrooms are set up in an adversarial type process. Congress is, by definition, a deliberative body. The nature of our politics right now seems to be kind of adversarial. You know, it's us versus them. So my question is, how are you going to bridge the gap between your career as a trial attorney and now you're in Congress, which is more of a deliberative body? It's a very interesting question and one that I have thought about, but not as, as, as um, I guess, as articulated by you. So on the Judiciary Committee, it most likely will have some aspects of, of, of what I have done as a trial attorney. You've watched the videos, you've watched the news, you know, you've watched what's happening in Congress, C-SPAN or clips on Fox News or whatever. So you know that things can get rather heated in those hearings. So hopefully my skills will translate to that kind of a situation. As far as bridging the gap, I think that becomes much more difficult. And the reason that I say that is that you can look back through history and in terms of uh, some of the differences between Republicans and Democrats, Democrats want to spend more money, for example, on social programs, and Republicans have wanted to spend more money on defense. Those are some of the, the classic debates between liberals and conservatives or, or Democrats and Republicans. The problem that I have right now with so many Democrats is I feel that they're trying to destroy my country. Yes, they are. They don't believe in freedom of speech. They don't believe in freedom of religion. They don't believe in, in live and let live. They have this viewpoint that government needs to control every aspect of our lives. And what we've seen over the last two and a half years has been beyond troubling to me, not just because of the fact that we've had leaders uh, who have taken the taken advantage of this emergency situation and just taken more and more and more and more power and tried to limit, dramatically limit the freedom and liberty of the citizens of this country. But the number of people who've been willing to say, it's okay, I'd rather have the government controlling my life, and I'm willing to give up all of these freedoms in order to have whatever security they can provide me. But as we say, it you know, has been said repeatedly over and over again for the last 200 and plus years is anyone who would give up a little security or a little freedom for security will have neither. And that's ultimately what, what happens. And that's the situation we're in. When I look at the vaccine mandates and I look at the mask mandates and I look at the restrictions on private business, all of those things are extremely troubling that a government under that any that any elected official or non-elected official and an unelected bureaucrat, the, their ability and their willingness to take away our freedoms was shocking to me. But it was also shocking to me the number of people who were willing to go along with it because I wasn't. 
I think if you ask the average Wyoming citizen, hey, would you give up some of your freedoms so the government can take care of you? Well, I think they'd probably tell you to go pound sand. Well, that's right. And that's what they should do, because it isn't the government's responsibility to take care of us, number one. And number two, I keep asking this question, and I am I have been reading quite extensively today, every time I have an opportunity to sit down or a few minutes by myself, trying to understand what is in that $1.7 trillion omnibus spending bill that they're just about to ram down our throats. And it is, why is it that the solution to every problem or every issue or every government-created issue is more government? more spending. At what point do people wake up, including our elected officials, do they wake up and say, you know what, why does the USDA need another $257 billion? I, I, you know, why, or $257 million, excuse me, not billion. Um, why does the EPA need another $186 billion? I, billion. I, I don't know if those are the exact numbers. My point being, what I have found with this omnibus spending bill is that almost every agency across the board is getting a substantial increase in money to spend. Why? What does the USDA do that warrants with a $31 trillion debt that we have? What do those agencies do that warrant substantial increases in spending? They're not solving problems. They're growing government for the sake of growing government. Government just becomes an end in and of itself. Yes, it does. And that's when, when we spend $1.7 trillion, nobody's reigning in these agencies. Nobody's holding them accountable. Nobody is saying, you know what? We don't need you right now. We don't need you to be spending more money, USDA. We don't need you in the next nine months, EPA, to be spending more money. We don't need you, Department of Transportation, to be spending more money. You're failing at your job, number one. And number two, we're $31 trillion in debt. We need to cut everything by 10%. I think you're exactly right. And and for me, it's not a question of what it is that these agencies do. It's more a question of what those in power want them to do. Just look at the 87,000 IRS agents. Do you really think that they're all going to be auditing people's taxes? I mean, maybe so, but I mean, there's there's got to be other things that uh, these agencies are doing that I don't even know if warrant is the right word for their increase in spending, but uh, what they're going to be doing with that money. So let's talk about one of those things where uh, where people think the government needs to take care of them, Medicaid expansion. The Wyoming left is, again, pushing it. Um, and for the eighth time. Yeah, for uh, actually, this will be for the ninth time. Oh, ninth time. I missed one. Well, they forgot about Nancy Case's amendment to the budget that he tried to slip in there. Uh, the question I have for you is all of the Medicaid expansion proponents say that if we do this, it's going to result in gobs of money for the state of Wyoming. What are they missing? What's the problem with that? Two things. One is that the federal government is is moving towards $32 trillion in debt, all right? We're moving towards $32 trillion in debt. We are moving to the point where the debt, um, the interest on the debt is going to be the third highest item that the federal government spends money on, with Social Security and Medicare being the first two. So we are heading to a debt crisis in this country. You can't have debt, your debt service, be one of your biggest budget items because at that point, whether you're an individual, you're a family, you're a, a convenience store, or you're the federal government, you're literally in a death spiral. So that's one of the issues. So you're going into partnership with a with a deadbeat debtor, and that's the federal government, number one. So number, number one, you never know that the federal government is going to continue to – 
to uh, spend money with, with Medicaid as it's expanded in these states. But here's something that has happened in every single state. The Medicaid expansion has cost substantially more than what was estimated in every single state that did Medicaid expansion. And here's why. In order to sell Medicaid expansion to the populace, they say, and I'm going to use estimates, I'm going to use numbers, I'm not giving you real numbers, I'm giving you examples. They may come in and say, well, there's only a thousand people. By our estimates, there's only a thousand people who are going to be eligible to go on Medicaid expansion. So it's only going to be a thousand people, which means it's going to cost us X amount of money. The federal government's going to pay 90% of that. So it's going to bring lots of money into the state of Wyoming and it's going to save money over here and it's going to save money over there and it's going to make it so that we can pay our hospital bills and all of these things in order to order to sell it to the populace though every single state has done the same thing and that is they have underestimated the number of people who ultimately sign up for medicaid so with the people so let's say we say it's only going to be a thousand people in wyoming that are going to sign up for medicaid but for anyone above that number it isn't the federal government paying 90% and Wyoming paying 10%. We have to pay 100%. So when we enter into that agreement with the federal government and say we're going to have 1,000 people on Medicaid, Medicaid in Wyoming, new people on, on Medicaid in Wyoming, if, if there's 1,050 or 1,100 or 1,500, for any person that is over that number, of of what we put into the federal government, Wyoming pays 100%. So in the states that they've done this, they try to underestimate the cost to sell it to the populace. So they're always keeping their numbers low. And then when they implement the program, a lot more people sign up for Medicare, Medicaid and the states are on the hook for 100% of the cost on those. I haven't seen that anywhere. I mean, it's, they don't talk about it. No, of course they don't. And the, the actual number you're looking for in Wyoming, and it's repeated everywhere, is 19,000 people. And, and the truth is, just, just if you look at it objectively, if you can get free health care by going from 40 hours a week to 37 hours a week... You're well, going to do it. You're going to do it. So right off the bat, there's going to be way more people that sign up than their ridiculous 19,000. And you have incentivized it. Yeah, it's another one of those things when whenever you get something for nothing, you don't value it. I'm also going to say this. What happened over the last two and a half years would have been impossible without Obamacare. The federal government never would have been able to use access to medical care as the cudgel by which to beat us into submission for their vaccine mandates and, and, and sh uh, shutting down businesses. Obamacare is a lot more destructive. Number one, healthcare costs have increased dramatically since Obamacare. So the, the very premise of, of, of Obamacare has been proven to be absolutely 100% false. Um, it's the classic example of what I always say, which is government is always trying to fix its last solution. And that is Obamacare epitomized. Government is always trying to fix its last solution. So Obamacare is where the government took control of our lives. Yes. They took control of the student loan program through that. That's when the federal government took over the student loan program was through Obamacare. And Obamacare is where they took control of our lives and they have scared people into submission by using health care and access to health care and insurance as the cudgel by which to beat us over the head. And so we need to understand the more people you put in a government program, 
the less free those people are. The other part about Medicaid is nobody has ever thought that Medicaid was a good insurance program. No. It has always been scraping the bottom of the barrel. There are many doctors and medical providers that won't even take Medicaid because it doesn't pay. So why are we trying to force people into absolutely subpar healthcare insurance? I have no idea why we're trying to do that, but that will be the result. Absolutely. I have just a couple more questions for you, if you'll indulge me. Uh, sure. So one of the big issues in our state right now is education. And there's a whole bunch of different things going around. Funding inappropriate books in schools, uh, teaching social justice instead of math. You've led a career of go government oversight. So if you could, uh, where would you start with the Department of Education? Uh, again, it goes back to so much of what I've been fighting about for the last 30 years, and that is that we have over-bureaucratized everything. We have uh, dramatically increased the uh, the number of, of, of employees in our schools, in our state offices, in the Department of Education. Um, we've got bloated administration. The fact is that I'm a strong supporter of teachers. I come from a long line of teachers. My mother was a teacher, my grandmother, my sisters, my sister-in-laws. My dad was chairman of the Education Committee uh, for the Wyoming Legislature for many, many years. I'm a strong advocate for education, but education has gone off the rails. The teaching of CRT, teaching of radical gender ideology, we know we're on the wrong track. Anybody who takes even a six-inch step back and looks at where we are and looks at what we're fighting over and looks at what we're teaching children and looks at the things that are being pushed upon the, the most vulnerable among us has to recognize that the government school program as it exists right now, as, as fostered and pushed by the radical, radical leftists is failing our kids. I went to school at Lingo Fort Laramie High School, little tiny school, 30 kids or so in my graduating class, 125 kids in the entire high school when I was there. I got the best education in the world. I got math. I got science. I got English. I got literature. I had typing. I had uh, ag classes. I didn't have a lot of other stuff. I recognize that. But from Lingo Fort Laramie High School and Fort Laramie Grade School and Guernsey Grade School, look what I've been able to do because I was educated. I was not indoctrinated. Absolutely. I mean, I, I feel exactly the same way. I graduated from, from Buffalo, and we didn't have any of this crazy social justice, gender ideology, anything like that. In fact, in Buffalo, you'd if a teacher tried to do that or a school official that probably be drugged down to crazy woman square in about five minutes yeah. flat. Um, yeah. So right now in Wyoming, there are a number of federal land grabs that are happening. There's ranches that have been turned into conservation easements. Federal leases for oil and gas have ab almost been halted. But at the same time, Harriet, people across this country are freezing this winter. And right now, like Wyoming could play Santa Claus for the entire country with the amount of resources that we have here. My question is, again, you've made a career out of telling, telling the federal government no. So with regard to federal overreach, with all these land grabs, with federal leases, how are you going to go about telling the government no this time? 
Well, there there are several things. First of all, there needs to be a no net gain of federal lands entirely. That's one of the things is we've got to stop the federal government from acquiring any further interest in land. And what by that, I mean not only fee simple, like purchasing the ranch south of Casper, but I also mean conservation easements. And what a lot of people don't know is that the conservation easements oftentimes are uh, overseen by the United States Department of Agriculture. And uh, and then other leftist organizations, obviously, the Nature Conservancy and, and organizations like that. We need to get the federal government to stop gobbling up more private property, especially in a state like Wyoming, where 48 percent of our surface estate is owned by the feds. I will tell you, and I've said this over and over on the campaign trail, I believe that there is a special place in hell for people who adopt policies that are intended to increase the cost of housing, energy, and food. Yet that's what we have with the Biden administration right now. I've never seen a circumstance in America, you see it in other dictatorships, where the administration is actually an enemy of the people. And that's what we have right now. We have an administration that is intentionally causing abject suffering in this country right now. In Denver right now, over the last month, they've had over 800 illegal aliens come into Denver. Just last week, they had almost 250 people hit Denver, illegal aliens that had crossed the southern border. They're doing everything in their power. They have declared a state of emergency because they are trying to find places for these people with these cold snaps coming through for them to live. But you think about the number of homeless people that already exist in Denver. What are they doing with them? There's no space in in the, in, the, uh, in, the, in, in the various shelters. There's no space in the churches. They're running out. And yet our federal government has adopted policies that shoved 800 more people into Denver in just the last month. And we're looking at a cold snap coming in that is going to kill people. Yes, it is. So what we have to do is I've got several things I want to do. Number one, I want to introduce a bill that for any regulation that has an impact of over $100 million, it cannot go into effect unless and until it is approved by Congress. And I would argue the same thing for an executive order and a regulation. So uh, obviously in July, this administration withdrew 2,000 leases in the state of Wyoming alone. That's obviously going to have an enormous impact. I think that we need to sue over those things. Um, this administration does not have that legal authority. The only thing that an exec- executive branch should be doing is carrying out the law, not making the law. And so I believe that Congress has got to start stepping forward and we've got to start filing lawsuits in our own names. We've got to start trying to block anything that that curtails or limits or impedes upon our rightful authority as the people who are the legislators. So that's one of the things I think we need to do. We also need to expose it and we need to make sure that we're putting the blame exactly where it belongs. For anybody who is suffering this this winter, we need to make sure that they understand it's the Democrats that are doing this. We don't believe in this. And here's something else we really need to think through. And I don't know the answer right now, but we've got to think through this. Our government is different than any other government on planet Earth. Our government is of, by, and for the people. It's not of, by, and for the dictator. It's not of, by, and for the despots. It's not of, by, and for the unelected bureaucrats. This government belongs to you and it belongs to me. And I do not believe that a government that is, that with our framework, with our constitutional republic, our framework, I don't believe that you can have an administration that adopts policies that are intended to hurt us. I think it's contrary to everything our government stands for. And I think we've got to start really having those conversations about what our government has become to us. I couldn't agree more with you. Well, Harriet, I very much take appreciate you taking the time to visit with me. I hope you have a very Merry Christmas, 
and thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you, and thank you for what you're doing, David. We'll visit soon. All right, goodbye. Bye. That'll do it for this Christmas Eve, Eve, Eve special of Cowboy State Politics. Don't miss the Saturday Christmas special. I'm telling you, it's going to be an amazing program. And also, don't forget about the Thursday live program that's happening tomorrow. Everything starts at 10 a.m., and you can find the link at CowboyStatePolitics.com or on the Cowboy State Politics Facebook page. But for now, from the base of the Bighorns in beautiful Buffalo, Wyoming, I'm David Iverson, and this is the one and only Cowboy State Politics. <laughs>